My name is Melissa. My name is Katie. My name is Ashley Brooke. My name is is Emma Christensen. And I am a survivor of sex trafficking in America. Hello, and welcome to season one of our podcast, Selling Girls in America. This show is dedicated to shedding light on the crime of sex trafficking in America. We want to give a voice to survivors of this crime as well as discuss prevention methods to stop more people from becoming victims. I'm your host, Randy, a writer and podcaster, and I just learned about human trafficking in the United States. I wanted to put this podcast together with Guardian Group to learn more about these crimes and get answers to questions, questions that I think most Americans would have. Joining me shortly is Jeff Teagues, a military veteran with over 25 years of service in the Army and Chief Operations Officer of Guardian Group, a nonprofit organization that fights human trafficking within the United States. The following episode contains distressing content regarding sex trafficking. This may be triggering for those with lived experience or their families. Please proceed with caution. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us on uh, this podcast. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the community. We're going to talk about how the community can be involved to stop trafficking and influence uh, trafficking in a positive way. Um, I have Dre here from Guardian Group. And she's going to tell us about their impact on uh, informing the hospital staff and also the hospitality staff on, and how this uh, affects the human trafficking. So go ahead, Drake. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, um, yeah. So one of the things that we realized when we were looking at different areas to kind of start to combat this crime was that different people in the community are going to see the crime a little bit different based on what their sector is. And so, for example, the hotels are going to see the crime in one way and the hospitals are going to see it in a different. And so we started focusing originally on the hotels um, because that's the top, they're always in the top three places that human trafficking occurs. And we're talking about the actual crime occurring, um, where the date's happening, um, where the girl is essentially being raped, Um, that's happening often at a hotel. And so one of the things that we try and do is strive to train the hotels to recognize the different indicators, um, of what, what this potential victim could look like, what, um, interactions they may have. So I I remember, and this is a, a, this is something very interesting from the very beginning when I first talked to Jeff, because, um, he, I, I was reading the uh, your blog and I was talking to Jeff and he was telling me about uh, a, an event he went to. And so these crimes are happening. And uh, I mean, when I was think when I would think about this, I would think about kind of motels, you know, some places that were, you know, cheap and, and not mm-hmm. necessarily nice or anything like that. And, and, uh, and no, the people who owned it or the people who were running it didn't really care. And you could bribe your way in and no one would give it, give, give a dang. But, uh, but I remember Jeff telling me about an event where he brought a victim in and they were talking to managers from, uh, all kinds of hotels, all different brands, high, low, everybody. And, uh, one of the managers came, said, you know, that doesn't happen in my hotel. And the victim said, well, what hotel are you representing? And he said, whatever the hotel was, which was some five-star brand. And she's like, which hotel is that? Where, what part? He's like, well, you know, I work with so many, but primarily this one. He's like, oh, yeah, I've been there. And so he was kind of stunned because it happens at all levels. It happens at the, the really expensive ones. The, they're everywhere, right? Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, remember that the trafficker is selling a fantasy to the buyer. And so he doesn't 
the buyer doesn't want to be in this shady hotel. Um, a lot of times it does happen there. Um, but not always. And that's where the bigger hotels play a role when they're, they're trying to sell to a buyer that maybe is going to spend a little bit more money. Um, and they don't want to think that they're doing something wrong. And so if they're sneaking into the shady looking hotel, then that feels a little bit more criminal maybe than walking into a nicer five-star hotel. Um, so there's no hotel that's immune. That's one of the big things that our guardian seal program trains is it doesn't matter. Um, as long as you are renting rooms, you are a target. Um, and so there's different things you can do to make your hotel less of a target, um, and make it a little bit more to protect your staff, protect your guests, um, and so on and so forth. So that's the main thing that the guardian seal program teaches to the hotels. Um, and then also puts in places in systems into place of how to report it and, um, what their policies and best practices should be. Yeah. We, I remember we talked about this, uh, I can't remember if it was with you or Amanda or, or Jeff, but you, it was basically, uh, it takes a village kind of mentality, right? Cause every person in the hotel could see something or come in contact with the crime and maybe not think anything of it or not recognize it, but it's, it's, it's reporting it to, to the, the uh, manager or, or, or the, the uh, head staff in the uh, hotel and him putting the whole picture together that would probably stop this. That that's kind of the way, the way you guys run this thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's so many different indicators and you might notice, say you're working the front desk, you might notice that that a girl walked in and it's snowing outside and maybe she's not dressed appropriately for the weather and she didn't have ID on her when she tried to check in. And then maybe I'm working housekeeping and I realized that her room has requested towels and new sheets way more than what would be normal. Um, But if we're not communicating and we're not communicating with our manager, those indicators might get missed. You don't see the whole picture. And so it's important to work together um, as a staff to say, hey, I noticed this. I had a weird feeling about it. Oh, well, I noticed this too. And now we've got more, more to the story that we can pass to law enforcement of this is why we think this is going on. Um, there's more more pieces. So the communication is definitely key among the staff. Yeah. Um, and, and I was and I was always curious. I, I was curious like how 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 the staff could let this happen because you because you, you throughout this podcast we've talked about you know the really horrible situation where these girls are are having you know eight ten twelve fifteen tricks a day a night uh, how are how are people not noticing this and and it was I just can't to me it would just be so obvious I guess I, if, if the way I'm picturing it I just can't see how the staff wouldn't notice it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. It's interesting when you, when you lead a training and you give people this information and their tools to watch their faces as they think back and they're like, oh my gosh, now I'm worried about this person. I remember a couple months ago, this happened. I think people just don't know. They don't realize what's happening. Um, and then everybody just thinks it's not going to happen to them. Um, you know, if they, if they even know it exists. And so I think it's just lack of information is a really big problem and it's one we're trying to solve. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess, uh, you know, I, I would never think about it, but if you're working at a hotel, especially if you've gotten training from you guys, you, if someone came in and is like, you know, I really want a room 
on the first floor by that exit door that's on the other side of the hotel where I can get in and out with my car. I'll just park my car over there. And that, that would be a sign right there. Cause that's the, that's the way people are going to come in and out. I, mm-hmm. I would assume. And then also the, the, that, that, that you, this education to the managers would be like, Oh, I need a camera. I need some more cameras to watch yeah. these places. Right. So yeah, yeah, that makes all, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Wow. How, how many, uh, how many, uh, hotels, you know, have, did you train in 2019 since we're coming up on 2020? <laughs> no, oh, I know. I don't know the number off the top of my head. I know we have trained, um, in 2019, we've trained, uh, about 5,000 individuals. I'm not sure exactly the ah, okay. hotel well, breakdown. Me, that's probably better. Than, that. than, than yeah. <laughs> Cause ideally the managers are managing more than one hotel. So then you probably, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah. and, and then have, have any of them reported back and said, Hey, thanks for this training. You know, I, I got called the police and they helped me round up some people that were trafficking and stuff like that. Have you got good news stories like that? We do. We have more good news stories this year from the hospitals. Um, I think oh, because the hospitals we've trained are a little bit, they're local. Um, and so we're here, we're in the same community. We're working with the same law enforcement. Um, but uh, if we want to dive into that one. We ran a hospital training um, here a while back and it was not mandatory. It was just the hospital put it on as like extra information. And we had about five people in the training and two weeks later they had a motor vehicle accident um, that the girl and guy came in and the nurse happened to have been in the training and things just didn't seem quite right. And she called in the social worker that had also been in the training. And that girl was very lucky that, um, that two of the five people (laughs) that had sat through our information had caught her case because she I mean that they caught on to things that were very, very unique to trafficking. Um, you know, the way her story kept changing and how afraid she was. And they're like, you know, she was just in a car accident. So there's trauma there, but her fear was different. Um, and it turns out she had been trafficked for the last two weeks. Um, and they were moving her to a different location when her trafficker rolled a car. Um, and so law enforcement was called in, her family was brought in from where she was from and, oh, that's so awesome. and yeah, it was great. And now it's mandatory at the hospital because <laughs> they realized so the need mandatory for, for the, the training. training. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. And so you yeah. went back to the hospital and trained more than five people at you've trained. <laughs> yeah, we've trained quite a few. I have another seven sessions at the end of January, I think with them. So. So how, yeah. so, so what specifically are you training the doctors and nurses to recognize if you can go into that or, or you know, what, yeah. what, what, uh, I mean, I, I, I guess as a me just thinking about it, especially since I've been talking to you guys on the podcast, it, it, you guys are looking for, like you said, stories that don't match, you know, age differences, um, you know, people not knowing full names of each other, maybe even, mm-hmm. or, or, uh, you know, changing your name cause you were, you're one name here and you're one name there. And, uh, I don't know what else. Yeah. So the thing that's unique about the hospital is, um, you know, we talk about how traffickers use this fear and, and, you know, threats for control and survivors report that almost half of them when they're in the hospital were told by their trafficker that, he has a friend that works in security. So if they say anything right. different than the story he's given them, um, that he's going to know, or their friend is a nurse. So there's so much fear that the victims sometimes even come become a little hostile um, because they need to just tell you the information they're allowed to say, get whatever they're there for fixed and get out. 
Um, and so there's a lot of fear, a lot of like, just not acting like a, like you would picture a stereotypical victim, not this, like, you know, more of the, I'm fine. I'm not going to answer that. I'm fine. Like trying to get out um, of the situation. And so that's something that's key to, that we teach at the hospitals um, is to know that these, these girls and, and boys are, there's so much fear. Um, another thing that we talk about with the hospitals is the fact that they have to communicate too, because just like the um, hotel, so many different people interact with a patient um, depending on why she's there. So if one notices one thing and one notices another, which in the example I gave you was key, they, they each notice different things after conversations with her and those things started to add up. Um, so that's really key that the whole staff needs to be on board and needs to be looking. Um, and then, I mean, let's see, what else do we teach? So, so I think, I think it's, that's really, uh, I mean, it's something I didn't understand, uh, initially when I started this podcast too, was the, uh, you know, how I was like, how hard is it for you to sit, walk in with your, your pimp and, and then tell the manager like, Hey, he's my pimp and I've been kidnapped and let me out of here. But, but it, it's, it's the fear that the, uh, the pimp puts into the victim that, Hey, everyone's working with me. I, I greased all these mm-hmm. palms. They all know what's going on, you know, and, 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 and that could be the doctors know the doctors are clients, the, yep. the manager's a client, the, you know, everybody's a client. So you don't think you're going to get away with anything. Don't make a phone call. Don't, don't ask for help. Cause they're just going to tell me and then I'll beat the crap out of you again. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, one of the things that we teach the hospital as well is I think that by nature, they kind of have a rescue mentality, um, of where they want to be the one that steps in and pulls her out of this situation. And I totally understand that. Um, but you know, we talk about, it takes seven attempts for her to get out. They may just be there to, to give her some information of, Hey, if he's telling you that there's no resources or he's telling you that you're going to be homeless, that's not true. There's actually resources because they may be the only ones that get her alone. Um, they're in a very unique position to be able to do that, to get a patient alone. And they're already really well equipped to handle, you know, child abuse and domestic violence. You know, every time you go in and see a doctor, they're like, Hey, are you safe at home? Um, and it's not that different of, of a crime at all. They're totally related. It's just realizing that it's happening and that it may not look exactly like you think. Um, and that all you may do is be able to, to tell her, Hey, you know, we're not working with him. Um, if he's threatening you, you know, we're here, we can, we can help. There's resources. Um, and then just leave her with that information and maybe she's not ready that day, but maybe she is. Um, you just never know. So we talked about they don't they don't they don't hit up the managers or the doctors say I'm being trafficking and try to leave because they're afraid of being beaten up. But there's probably a lot of other considerations as well besides the the threat of violence, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, some traffickers will um, go as far as to have a child with their victim, um, or maybe she already has a child and he has control of that kid. Um, if she's a mom, she's going to do whatever she has to do to keep her kid safe. And so maybe the threat isn't against her, but it's against, you know, her little one. And, and that's huge. You're going to, you're not going to scream and yell if somebody else's life is in danger, especially not your kid. Right. And then even if they get, um, even if the hospitality or the hospital gets involved with, with authorities, then she's still 
fear in fear of her child's life, you know, like, Hey, I don't, I want to press charges. I don't want anything, you know, or, you know, she, she can only go so far because she wants to get her kid back and that she knows that he has them. And I also remember Jeff saying that, you know, in some cases that the, uh, the uh, trafficker might actually threaten her friends and family, you know, and things like that. Not, not just the exposure of, you know, Hey, I got videos of you doing all this stuff mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll ruin your life. But just the, the fact that, that he may actually physically harm people in her life as well. Yeah, totally. You know, it may be the threat of you're going to do this or I'm going to make your little sister do it. And no. I'm a big sister. There's no way I would let somebody hurt my little sister. I you know, that would, that. that would be enough for I me even, to Yeah. I didn't even think listen. about that. I was, uh, I was thinking maybe they're going to harm my mom or something, but yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's, that's horrible. So I guess if we have uh, anybody in our audience who uh, is a hospital member that doesn't get these briefings or in the hospitality uh, hotel, if they want to get a hold of you, you know, we'll, we'll put out the information on how to get a hold of Guardian Group at the end, or you can go to their website, guardiangroup.org. Um, I, I, uh, I think this is a good time to mention the, the rest of the community because you know, it takes a village. It doesn't just uh, include the hotel or the hospital staff. It's anybody could notice anything at any time. Uh, one of the things that I, I always, I, I, I've been very aware of, uh, me and Jeff, Jeff and I travel around the world a lot. And whenever, whenever we go into these like third world shady countries, uh, not to be a Trump, but, but, uh, but there's, there's some countries that have less, uh, you know, police action than they probably need. Mm -hmm. And I get picked up at the hotel by a taxi. The first thing the guy's like, if he, see, if he sees a single guy, especially he's like, Hey, you want a good time tonight? I got a flyer, you know, you know, you should go here, which is, you know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about human trafficking in the United States. Not that it doesn't exist in the rest of the world, just that, there's, there seems to be a belief in the United States by Americans that it's not happening too much in the United States. Um, I wonder, uh, you know, I'm sure the big cities in the United States have taxi drivers that, you know, get paid by pimps to promote their, uh, to promote their business for lack of a better word. And, uh, but, but they probably don't understand that the women are being trafficked. They probably just think, Hey, this guy's going to give me 50 bucks because I, I pass these out every month or whatever. Uh, so I think the, just the, if, if I guess we'll, we'll feed this into, Hey, if you're listening to this and, and you have a company that, that mm -hmm. wants to get briefed on their guardian groups, not opposed to, you know, showing up at your company and, and briefing you on, and on, on how you can make a difference in human trafficking. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't really matter what sector you're in, um, you know, from taxi drivers to Uber to Lyft to financial institutions. Um, everybody's going to see this crime a little bit differently. And even if like maybe you're in construction and there isn't specific indicators, your employees are still community members. And so they're going to see it at some point as long as they know what they're looking for. And so it's, it's important training to have, you know, we had a a um, gym in town reach out recently, super high end gym, which I'm pretty sure they aren't going to see it. Um, not positive, but pretty confident they won't see it. Um, and his stance was either way, my employees all live in this community and can help make this community better. And so he was going to get the training for his employees. And I think that's a really proactive approach and something that we'd encourage people to do, like protect your community by training your employees um, because everyone's going to see it. Well, I think and if nothing else, you're protecting your employees from becoming victims too, especially a gym. They probably have a young, a young employees that are, you know, 
late teens, early twenties that are, mm-hmm. I mean, those are, I mean, while there we are, we have been talking a lot about underage, there's still people that get involved in this 17, 18, 19, 20, you know, college. I, I think I read uh, something on your blog about a, 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 a woman who got involved right after she, she graduated college and then she got, became a victim by uh, thinking this guy was a good guy and becoming her, her girl, his girl, his girlfriend. So I think everyone, I, I'm also really surprised when we talked, I think we mentioned this on another uh, one of our episodes, why, well, uh, this politics, but do, do you ever get uh, schools to ask you to come in and talk to like their high schools and say, Hey, you know, beware of this. Is that something that, that happens? <laughs> yeah, this is always the million dollar question. Um, literally every time you finish your training, the first question, why aren't you guys teaching this in the schools? <laughs> um, so the schools are really hard to get into. Um, there's, you know, same, same argument that came when, when they wanted to introduce sex ed into schools, like that was hard. Um, parents don't want their kids to know about this. And I totally understand that. Um, but there's really good age appropriate curriculum, um, that starts at kindergarten and goes all the way up to, to help prevent this and like online safety. And it's just really worded correctly for those age groups. Um, I know stranger, stranger danger to, yeah. Mm-hmm. Florida, I think, is the first state that is now requiring it in schools. Oh, um, wow. I'm pretty sure they just passed that law or they're working on passing it. I know where we are in Oregon, they're working on passing it um, as well. But so far, it hasn't happened. Um, but the schools are tricky, very tricky. So we offered training to teens, um, well, 12 and up, um, at a self-defense course. And then their parents can choose to bring them and then they get, you know, 45 minutes of how to stay safe online and what human trafficking looks like and how to protect themselves and their friends. And then they get an hour to an hour and a half of hands-on self-defense training. So it's kind of our method of teaching the kids, um, but it's totally not scalable because it requires one of us to be there. So hopefully the schools will start to, to implement it. Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much, Dre. I think that, I think that covers most of it. Do you have any last uh, notes to mention? No, I think we covered it. No, thanks. Thanks a lot. That was uh, I actually, uh, you know, every time I talk to you guys, I learn something new, and I really appreciate coming here and talk about this. Yeah, and then absolutely. Okay. If you enjoyed this episode, please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. If you need help with a potential trafficking situation, please contact your local law enforcement agency or call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 888-373-7888 or text HELP to 233-733. Resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes at www.guardiangroup.org slash podcast. If you'd like to donate to the fight against human trafficking, please go to www.guardiangroup.org slash donate. If you have a question you would like answered on a future episode, please send it to contact at guardiangroup.org.